economy is crumbling. They say it's had its day. The workers are all rumbling. Revolution's on the way. But I could never be a Marxist. It goes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You say, come up to Port Newell. He went with Danny Baker. So you silly disco songs of reading Melody Baker. I'm singing down the dunker. Welcome to Radical, a podcast about the radical aspects of politics, music and football. I'm your host, Kas Mudde. My guest today is Kai Artsheimer. Kai is a professor of political science at the University of Mainz in Germany. He has been publishing for decades on electoral behavior and on far-right politics and is the curator of the excellent and brilliantly named The Eclectic Erratic Bibliography on the Extreme Right in Western Europe. As one of the foremost scholars of German politics, he's the perfect guest for the third episode in the special election series of Radical, which focuses on the German election of September 26, 2021. Welcome to the podcast, Kai. Thank you for having me, Kass. So my first question is, what was the first sports team you ever supported? Uh, somewhat unsurprisingly, that was actually my hometown's football club. That was back in the 1970s in Germany. And this club was playing actually in the lower tier of the Bundesliga. Back then, they have been relegated several times. And back then, it was the done thing. So as a young boy, you were expected to be interested in football. And um, it was also a sort of family affair. So people were playing in this club. Dads of my friends were members of this club, and so I just went along. It took me a couple of years to realize that I wasn't terribly interested, unlike you in football, but the atmosphere was quite exciting. So these were good years, I think. But which club was it? That was Vormatia Worms. I think you've never heard of them. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I've heard of it. They're on my You've heard of them? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. So second, what is your favorite political song? I love all the old workers' songs because they're so rousing, catchy tunes and stuff like that. And I think they have an almost religious quality. Nowadays, people listen to them in a more ironic way, I think, or with a sense of nostalgia. But I think they're still addressing important problems. My favorite is El Pueblo Unido. That was written in Chile in the very early 1970s. And then, you know, there was this coup led by Pinochet. Military dictatorship was established. This song went around the world, was translated into many different languages, and it sends out the message that the united people will never be defeated, which, of course, connects straight to your own research. It's, it's populism in a nutshell. Us against them, the united and unified people will not be defeated by these evil elite people. Right. And finally, what is your favorite political book? My favorite political science book is The Economic Theory of Democracy by Downs because I, I think it's just so unrealistic. It's such clean but completely removed from reality world. And I think if you read it against the grain, you can really learn something about electoral and partisan behavior. <laughs> That's funny. It says also something about the state of political science. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so let's start by sketching the context of these elections. This was the first post-Merkel election in more than mm -hmm. 15 years. And a lot has been written about the so-called Merkel legacy in international media. But how is the Merkel legacy perceived in Germany? How mm -hmm. has she influenced German politics? And how do Germans regard her after almost 16 years in power? I think the big difference between this international perspective and the German perspective is that Germans judge her by local or domestic standards. And in terms of German politics, she's been a dominant figure for almost two decades under her stewardship 
the Christian Democrats remained the most important party in national politics. And over this long period, she has always reacted to some external crisis or crises in the plural, stuff like the euro crisis or all sorts of things going on during her I had almost said rain, but it wasn't a rain. She was elected after all. <laughs> so by these local standards, I think many people think she's honest, she's hardworking, she kept her party relevant, she kept Germany out of trouble. She was the pair of safe hands, if you wish, but certainly not a great reformer, certainly not anyone who had anything like a vision or at least a program for Germany or for Europe. And having said all that, and that is my personal opinion, coloring, her personal ratings are still sky high. I think more than 60% say she's done an excellent job. So she was quite popular during the last one and a half or two years of her stewardship of Germany. But in, in terms of actual legacy, people are becoming slightly more critical. So what were the main issues in the election campaign? The biggest issues were climate change and the environment. You know that we had these terrible floodings over the summer that really served right. as bringing climate change back on the agenda in a very visible way. And then, of course, the pandemic, the handling of the pandemic that was also high on the agenda and other more perennial issues like social justice, state of the economy and stuff like that. Interestingly, in my view, over the last two, perhaps two and a half months of the campaign, people became really aware that Merkel was no longer on the ticket, that she wasn't standing for re-election. And so the question of who might succeed her became an issue in itself, quite central to the campaign, actually. And that brings us to the parties and the party leaders, focusing probably on the main three, the Christian mm -hmm. Democrats, the SPD and the Greens. How did these parties present themselves and how did the party leaders present themselves? Yeah, there were three main candidates, as you say, and neither of them was particularly popular at the beginning of the campaign and during most of the campaign. So Annalena Baerbock, the Green candidate and co-leader of the party, had a very well-staged start into the campaign. It was seen as a very neat and clean decision, and she presented herself as a sort of young reformer that you could trust with the country, but who wouldn't demand too much change, yes, but only change because you're ready for it and in a way that would be acceptable. And she became quite quickly embroiled in this whole string of minor scandals and mishaps and misstabs, really overshadowed her campaign. And I think much of the Green campaign during the summer was just limiting the damage, the fallout from these fairly minor, in my view, problems at the beginning of the campaign. Then you had the Christian Democrats, the CDU-CSU, with Armin Laschet, the CDU leader, as the candidate. And I think he was in an awkward position to begin with, because on the one hand, he had to sort of defend the government's record. The CDU-CSU had been in government for the last 16 years, so can't just say that was all rubbish. On the other hand, there was a certain demand for for change in policies in Germany, coming back to climate and all that, coming back to the handling of the pandemic. So he had to promise a sort of fresh start and started his campaign with announcing that following his rise to the chancellorship, there would be a decade of modernization, which begs the question, well, what have you done with your last two decades in <laughs> government? And from that went downhill, basically. So he had a number of very unfortunate gaffes during the campaign. There 
there was considerable fire from the sidelines because the leader of the CSU was convinced that he had made a better candidate. So he kept shooting at the candidate. And he wasn't also universally popular with his own party, with the CDU. And so that was a very tired and awkward campaign, in my view. And finally, perhaps the most interesting and surprising candidate was Olaf Scholz for the Social Democrats. He is a guy who has been in politics for decades. He used to be party manager in Gerhard Schröder's days, two decades ago, actually. He has been a state-level premier. He was the finance minister for the last three years of the outgoing government. And he is widely perceived as an extraordinarily boring, bureaucratic, but competent <laughs> person. And so he emerged as the frontrunner over the last six weeks basically by presenting himself as the continuity candidate and so claimed to be the heir of Merkel, at least in terms of centrism and of competence. Right, which remains very ironic because, of course, Schultz was the leader of a different party than Merkel was. Absolutely. <laughs> so the SPD won the election, but did so with one of the lowest scores in post-war history. Mm -hmm. Moreover, just a few months ago, the party was still polling third with just 15%. Is the center-left back, as the international media proclaims? Is this a structural resurgence of the SPD, or is this a rather specific result? I think it very much depends on what you mean with the center-left. So for me, the Greens have become a center-left party. And if you add up the results for the Greens and for the SPD, they get just over 40% of the vote. Well, that's quite an improvement over the last election results. So you could say, yes, the center-left is bouncing back. But of course, if you look at the uh, result for the Social Democrats alone, that is much more than people expected just six weeks ago. But by any historic standard, it's really quite low. So 26% of the vote in 2002, they won 39% of the vote. And that was the last time they led a government. So if they end up leading a coalition now, they have lost roughly one third of the support they were enjoying at that time. That's not really brilliant. And so you could say they're not bouncing back. They're just not hurt as bad as people expected. But I think there are a couple of interesting points about this SPD uh, result. The first interesting point is apparently if we believe in the exit polls, they want votes back from the CDU which is in line with the view that Merkel pulled the Christian Democrats to the center. And at the moment, she is leaving the stage. There are people moving back from the Christian Democrats towards the Social Democrats. And the second interesting point, in my view, is that the SPD has been winning voters back in the eastern states. The last right. time the SPD was seriously successful in the eastern states at the national level must have been the 1998 election, Schröder's first term. And ever since then, they have been struggling, at least in national elections. And now they have in many places displaced the CDU as this main center party. And that's, that's quite an achievement. That means that they are still sort of electable, but I wouldn't say that there uh, is any sort of structural realignment going on. That would be too early to say anyway. For me, it's just not there yet and probably will not be there in the future. So you already talked about the East, and in relative terms, the biggest loser of the last election was the left, Die Linke, mm -hmm. which fell also under the 5% threshold, but was saved by its direct mandates. 
can you first explain why the left still has proportional representation mm-hmm. despite not making the 5% threshold? They scored 4.9%. And second, discuss what this loss means for the future of Die Linke as a party. Mm-hmm. So in Germany, we have this mixed member proportional system where every voter has two votes on the same ballot paper. And the first vote is the nominal vote, which decides which candidate wins a district. There are 299 districts, and it's simple first past the post. person who gets the most of these first votes is elected for that district. Now we have a second vote, a list vote, and the total composition of parliament reflects the vote shares in this list vote. So basically, we have compensation from the list until proportionality is achieved. The condition for taking part in this procedure is that you win either 5% of the list votes or you win three districts. If you win just two districts, you're bad luck, you get two MPs. But if you win three districts or get over 5%, then you get your full share of the vote. And that was 39 seats for them this time around. They lost almost half of their MPs, put differently. And that was, of course, a major blow for the party. Party has existed in its current form since 2007, I think, when they merged with another party and leaves them in a state of, I would say, soul searching. There have been always various factions within the left, more traditional and more left libertarian forces, but also Easterners, Westerners, former communists, former reformers, former social democrats, actually. It's, it's quite a mixed bunch. And this result certainly means that there is discussion over the future course and strategy of the party going on with Gregor Gysi, one very prominent but semi-retired politician for the left, already calling for retransforming the left into an Eastern regional party, which I think would be a stupid idea. But he had the same stupid idea back in 2017 when the results were much better. And I don't know, people might listen to him because he's still influential he can still pull a crowd. Right. And just for those who haven't followed German politics closely over the last decades, Gregor Gysi was also the big leader of, in a sense, the predecessor of Die Linke already in the early 1990s. So the fact that he is still one of the most prominent politicians says a little bit about the future (laughs) of the party. Now, also talking about the East The far-right alternative for Germany lost more than 2%, but it increased the number of direct mandates it won, Mm -hmm. particularly in the east or better, the southeast. What does this mean for the country and what does this mean for the party? So, yes, the AFD lost compared to 2017, but I think it's important to keep in mind that 2017 was almost the perfect storm for them. Um, They had this string of state elections, which gave them a lot of momentum. The refugee issue was still high on the agenda. Mm -hmm. And now, four years later, immigration didn't play any role during the campaign. The party has become, in a sense, more normal. It's not so exciting to see them enter just another parliament. And on the other hand, there is a lot of pressure on the party. Difficult times for the AFD. And still, they lost just two percentage points. That's quite a good result, I would think, given the circumstances. Now, their district vote, that is more or less a result of the mixed member proportional system. So if you look at the votes, 
even in Saxony, they have hardly improved their first votes and they have actually lost two and a half points with respect to the second votes. But they gained district votes because the CDU was mm -hmm. showing so poorly, especially in Saxony, which used to be a stronghold for the CDU. And so many of these district seats changed hands from the CDU to the AFD, which symbolically is, of course, important for the party, which strengthens the eastern wing within the party. But this map showing all those blue districts Blue is the color of the AFD. That is slightly misleading because it looks like another wave when, in fact, it's more like a consolidation on a slightly lower level. Right. And just to summarize that, they won more because the CDU lost than that they exactly. themselves gained. However, most of, if not all of their direct mandates in two states, Thuringia and Saxony, mm -hmm. which also are among, if not the most extremist branches of the party, and I would call both branches extreme right rather than radical right. What does that mean for the already very tense relations within the AFD, the wing Der Flügel of the Thuringia branch leader, Höcke, has been challenging the leadership of the party, wants to push it even further right. These results give him quite a mandate. Yes, you could say that, at least symbolically, in terms of the actual numbers, not much has changed. Around about one third of the current MPs for the AFD are from the eastern states, and the eastern states are pretty solid flugel territory, I would say, especially Thuringen and, and Sachsen. But in terms of absolute numbers, there are still others not fully subscribed to this, I would also call them extreme right agenda for the party. And so the fight is continuing. But I wouldn't say that the Flügel tendency has scored a clear win. I think in this respect, the important event will be the party conference in December when they have a vote on the national leadership. But this ongoing conflict was in full display first on Monday. There was a press conference. Alice Weil, Tino Gupala, which are the parliamentary leaders of the AFD, and Meuthen, who is the main proponent of the so-called moderates in the party and party co-leader, they contradicted each other. Meuthen said, well, we have lost the election or we had terrible losses, which shows we need a more moderate course. And Alice Weidel said, no, this is an excellent result. And I'm actually quite proud of it. So that was the first hint of ongoing conflict. And then it took them two full business days to reestablish the leadership of the parliamentary party. That was a very drawn out process. And it looked like Weidel might lose her spot. But in the end, she scraped by. But it was a close shave for her. So the party is in disarray and conflicted and divided and whatnot. Right. So we have the Linke in disarray. We have the AFD divided. And then, of course, we have the CDU oh, slash yes. CSU, where the CDU leader Laschet is currently fighting for his political life, but is not helped much by other party leaders. In fact, CSU leader Marcus Söder seems to openly undermine him. Is the Union set for a brutal leadership battle or will it all be over soon? 
I think we are already at the leadership battle stage. There are two issues here, basically. So on the one hand, we have two separate parties, the CDU and the much smaller CSU. They're separate parties. They do not compete. They have this permanent alliance at the federal level, and they have usually just one single candidate for the chancellorship, normally someone from the CDU, occasionally someone from the CSU. And of course, the CSU is convinced, and many people within the CDU are also convinced that Zuda would have been a better choice for candidate and that they would have had a better result. Now, the CSU has an upcoming state election back home in Bavaria in 2023, so just about two years, and they don't want the CDU to drag them down. So they have an interest in removing Laschet. Their idea is that the CDU should sort out its leadership problems sooner rather than later. And this is, I think, why the CSU is still attacking Laschet in a slightly oblique and sometimes not so oblique way. The same ideas prevail within the CDU, but I think they still need Laschet as a future fall guy, because at the moment, there is still a theoretical possibility that the CDU could end up in government, this time around as a junior partner, perhaps of the SPD or perhaps leading a so-called Jamaica coalition, which would even give them the chancellorship. And as long as these two options are still on the table, it's good to have someone whom you can't blame for the current state of the party. <laughs> and once that issue is settled, I think there's no chance that Laschet will survive. But there is no obvious successor within his own party, which is quite divided along several lines, actually. So there are three more or less realistic coalition options. You've already mentioned two. Can you shortly discuss the three and tell us which one mm -hmm. you think is most likely? Yeah, I think the most likely one is the so-called traffic light coalition. That would be the SPD working with the Greens and the FDP. The FDP is a liberal party. It's quite a pro-business market liberal party. And that points to a policy conflict between the FDP and the Greens, but also, of course, between the FDP and the SPD, because the Greens are focused on this transformation of Germany's economy and society. They are focused on climate change. And that could mean higher taxes, more investment, stuff like that, whereas the FDP is committed to not rising taxes and keeping the budget ceiling and, and stuff like that. On the other hand, there is considerable agreement between the two parties on some issues. Both have a lot of emphasis on human rights and civic rights. They also have quite young electorates. And the funny thing is they're already working together in a traffic light coalition in the state of Rhineland Palatinate. So there's precedent for that. That coalition has been running for five years, won a new mandate just half a year ago. So there is a good working relationship between the Greens and and the FDP, and in this case, even the SPD. Then there's the so-called Jamaica coalition option. This is named for the traditional party colors in Germany. An odd collection of names, traffic light, because you have red, green, and yellow, and Jamaica, because you have yellow, green, and black. The color of the CDU, CSU is black. And this Jamaica coalition also operates in one of the German states, in one of the northern states, Schleswig-Holstein, and has also been quite successful, or at least working smoothly. 
Now, in terms of their general policies, the Greens would favor cooperation with the SPD. They're both center-left parties. The FDP has been traditionally closer to the Christian Democrats. And the question is, what will it be? Will it be the traffic light or will it be Jamaica? And it was quite striking on election night when leading characters from the two smaller parties said, you know what, we are going to have pre-coalition pre talks. We're meeting. We're not waiting for one of the bigger parties to extend an invitation to form a government or at least to discuss the options for forming a government. No, no, we two go ahead. And this has actually already happened. And apparently it's going quite well. We do not hear anything. Normally, there's always rumor leaking out of these discussions. But in very small circles, they are agreeing, apparently, that they could work together with either the SPD or the CDU. Now, I think if I may mention the third option, that both smaller parties could still overplay their hands or they could come to the conclusion that it is impossible to bridge their policy differences. And in this case, we would get another, yet another grand coalition with the role of the two major parties reverse the SPD leading the Christian Democrats falling. But this is super unpopular with voters, and it's also unpopular with the parties involved. Even the last grand coalition came only about after protracted negotiations and after the first attempt at forming a Jamaica coalition failed in 2017. I think it's on the table as a sort of leverage for the SPD primarily. And it would also symbolically come at a bad moment, given that for the first time, if I'm not mistaken, in post-war history, the two so-called Volksparteien or People's Parties, CDU and SPD, no longer command a majority of the vote. Um, they still have a majority of the seat, but not of the vote. And in that sense, these elections were also a confirmation of the trend towards fragmentation in Germany, in which it also falls more and more in line with Europe as a whole. We see not just more parties in the parliaments in Europe, but also the big parties have become pretty much medium-sized parties. The biggest party now in Germany is 26%. Do you think fragmentation is a fundamental challenge for German politics? Yeah, I think we had a very similar conversation on Twitter four or five or ten years ago. Yes, it's happening in Germany like in other European countries. There's a long-term trend towards dealignment. The bigger parties are not so big anymore. It has something to do with the decline of church membership, union membership. All this is very slowly eroding away. And so fragmentation and I think also personalization is the name of the game in Germany. The long rule of Merkel has sort of distracted from this fact, but actually the CDU share has been falling for a long time. The SPD share has been falling even quicker, but the decline of the CDU has been obvious for years now. And that requires more complex coalitions in Germany, especially with the AFD, which is completely ostracized. No one wants to form a coalition with them, which makes this game particularly tricky for the FDP and the Christian Democrats because they have no natural allies right at the center. They only have themselves. And that means, of course, also regionalization in a country the size of Germany. The last string of state elections this spring was quite instructive. We had Baden-Württemberg and Rhineland-Palatinate, two neighboring states, going to the polls. In Baden-Württemberg, the SPD dropped below 13%. 
And in the neighboring state of Rhineland-Palatinate, the SPD had 36% of the vote. And there is literally, I think, 150 kilometers distance between the two state capitals. And for the Green, it's almost the other way around, doing reasonably well in Rhineland-Palatinate, being the leading party in Baden-Württemberg. It's mad. It's a different world that is very different from the Germany of the 1980s, and even from Germany of the 1990s. Yeah, and this is actually something what the maps also show is that while we have talked about this east-west division for a long time, you now actually see a little bit of a north-south division as well, where the SPD is much stronger in the north and the CDU still has much of its stronghold in the south. Thank you very much for coming on the show, Kai. Thank you very much for having me, Kai. It was a pleasure. Kai Alzheimer is a true social media professor who is active on a broad range of social media, including Instagram and YouTube. You can find everything you ever wanted to know about Kai on his website, www.kai-artsheimer.com, including the excellent Extreme Right bibliography. You should also follow him on Twitter at, at Kai-Artsheimer. This was another episode of Radical, the podcast on the radical aspects of music, politics and sports hosted by me, Kas Mudde. The music is from the Godets with their classic song Karl Marx supported Millwall. If you want to know more about Radical, visit our website at www.radicalpodcast.com. Radical spelled R-A-D-I-K-A-A-L. And if you like the podcast, please rate and subscribe. Also, please share it with friends and on social media. Thank you for listening. The economy is crumbling. They say it's at its day. The workers are all rumbling. Revolution's on the way. But I could never be a Marxist. It goes against the grain. And before you call me past it, give me a chance to explain. You say, come up to Port Newell. He went with Danny Baker. See you silly disco songs and really melody maker. I'm seeing down at Dunker, playing with his beard. No wonder that that's Captain Tell turned out a little weird.